and I've had it, I'm tired of being pushed around, being used, feeling that comes over you. Ever had that? And you're just like, I've had it. That's enough. I'm, I'm right about this, and I'm going to, and I'm just, just going to let them know. No. How do you protect yourself from those things? How do you, how do you keep from, from falling into that, that kind of a rut? Here it comes, a brand new day, but I don't know what will come my way. Rise or fall, your love will see me through it all. Opportunity and challenge like your word directs me to what's right and spurs me on right through the fight with the promise of new life. Good evening, you are listening to A Word with God. My name is Marco, and this is my friend, Pastor Stan Starkey. Stan, you are both a father and a grandfather, right? Yes, I am. And at what age do you think that little kids learn to use the possessive pronoun, mine? Probably about the fifth word they say. Yeah, well, as adults, we need to unlearn that very word, or at least when it comes to ministry. This evening, great. Could I have your bike then? Uh, I say when it comes to ministry. Oh, okay. <laughs> this evening, we are going to realize that kingdom work belongs to God, and that He pours down blessings by inviting us along for the ride. I don't know, Sam. I think he needs to really listen to this message tonight. But let's open up our Bibles to the tenth chapter of Luke. And uh, are you there yet? Let's get started. Then. Amen. We're going to rock it along now. I hope you open your Bibles to Luke, and we're going to be finishing up chapter 9 and into chapter 10 this morning. So let's open our Bibles and get ready to enter in and dig into God's Word. I hope you brought your Bible this morning and that uh, you're ready to, uh, to go. Not every move is, um, is not God's will. Sometimes there are moves that are God's will, but uh, we were just praying, weren't we? It just didn't feel right. Well, we start with a Starbucks survey this morning. Uh, we're in a section that's kind of a little bit longer, and it's like, it's like a sandwich with two ends in it. And the uh, question that we asked this last week to people was, how do you know if somebody's important? How do you know if somebody's important around you? And the first group had an answer like this. You can tell by where they work and where they live and what they drive and where do they vacation and do they have the stuff that says they've made it. You can just tell when somebody is important. That's one of the answers. Another group had an answer like this, having the ability to affect change around them. People are of importance are change makers. Ever met people like that? You just wherever they go, the change comes about and uh, you... Uh, they have this mark of making change. Another group said things like this. Uh, who wants to be around them? Important people attract other important people. You met people like that? Just, they know everybody. They're connected. Everybody wants to invite them over for dinner. Everybody wants to you know, go, uh, go to a movie with them. Or Are they important by who they attract? And then the fourth area 
with question was this, is the media aware of them? Do they have people's attention? Is there a following? Are they on Twitter, Facebook, whatever you're into? I look at people that I'm interested in and, you know, they got like 20,000 people following them on Twitter. Wow. Well, it starts out this morning asking, the disciples asking each other, who's the most important? And we're going to end in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this would have been taught all at one time, probably over a couple of hours, two or three hours, where Jesus moves them through their thinking to this very strange story that he finishes telling them in the end. Let's begin here, Luke 9, verse 46. An argument started among them. That's, that's the disciples. Uh, word argument there is the idea of a heated debate. What starts arguments in your house, Marco? What kinds of things start? He's just really quiet. Okay, enough there. Um, you do? You start arguments? Yeah. Okay, okay. What kinds of things start arguments in your household, Dan? In my household? Yeah. Nobody dares argue with you? No. That... How do you spend your money? That's a very common one. Last night when we get, I gave this message at Cortland, when somebody said, how we, how we raise our children. That starts arguments. We got a difference of opinion there. Um, it's kind of funny because uh, I look in, 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 um, in my life, and sometimes I think my things are more important than Lori's things. And that gets an argument going when I think what I've got is kind of more important than what she wants to get going. That's kind of what was the root of this argument that started amongst the disciples. But, however, Jesus, knowing that they were, what they were thinking in their hearts, took a child. Now, that's, not a, that's a child like this, an infant or a toddler. That's the word. The Greek's very, very clear on the kind and the age of the child. Are you doing all right now? Yeah, we're doing a lot better. Yeah. Okay. So he took a child and stood him by his side and said to them, whoever receives, that means to take the hand up. Ever had a, a, been leading a child and you take their hand, you go down the street with a toddler, you don't let a toddler just kind of wander. You take their hand so that they don't wander off. Whoever receives, whoever takes the hand of this child in my name receives, takes the hand of me. Who, um, and whoever receives me, receives, takes the hand of him who sent me. For the one who is the least among you all is the one who is great. The picture that he has there is that Jesus is on this side holding that person's hand. The Father is on this side holding the person's hand, bringing them through life. The important one is not the one leading, not the one making all the decisions. The important person is the one who has their hands, both hands, being held by the Father and the Son. Isn't that amazing? That is the great one in heaven. I put some... uh, I put down here, amongst all of you, it means from the smallest, for the one who is least, the word we get micro, micrometer, small measurement, for the one who is the smallest, the least, among all of you, 
is the one who is great. That's megas. Mega size is who is great. Some thoughts here. Much is accomplished. I mean, I say this over and over again, but I'm trying to keep this in my head. Much is accomplished when no one cares who gets the credit. And as we do ministry together, as we do life together, as we work as husbands and wives, boyfriend and girlfriends, wherever you're on in life, is if, if you can set aside the need to take the credit, life will go much smoother. Number two, the least act of service is a partnership with Jesus and the Father. Whatever we do, whatever we do is a partnership with Him, is a partnership with the Son, a partnership with the Father. Whatever you do as a father, as a mother, whatever we accomplish and do as a church, it's because we're in partnership. He is the one who brings these things around. Well, some thoughts on having competition, verses 49 to 50. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him. Idea to hinder. Well, why did they do that? Why, why would they stop this guy? Because he does not follow along with us. He wasn't our people. He wasn't part of our group. He wasn't tied into doing our thing. But Jesus said to him, do not hinder him. Don't get in the way. Don't forbid. Don't deny what he's doing. For he who is not against you is for you. The guy who's serving Jesus is serving Jesus. And whether it's in this church or that church, we're working together to serve the kingdom. Two thoughts here. We need to get out of the way of other ministries and bless them. There's going to be many times where we have opportunity to join hands with other ministry. And we can never get to the place where we think what we're doing here is better than what God is doing over there. We're in this together. We are all part of one family doing one ministry. And um, put down here, who's, who's on the team? How do we know if we have affinity? How do we know if we are working with someone who is on the same team? Well, here's four things to look at. The first question is, who is Jesus? That's the first question you have to ask. That's where the cults all go kind of south, is who is Jesus? Uh, he is the son of the living God. He is God in the flesh. Cults will say he's a son of God, or he's a good man, or he is something other than God in the flesh. That's the first test. Are we, do we have affinity here? The second area is man's condition. Man is fallen. He's not able to redeem himself. Some say that, that there's a spark of goodness in every person. It just needs to be fanned to flame. I was up north this week, and we had a fire, and the fire had burned down low, and I put some more wood on it, and you begin to blow on the coals underneath, and it comes to flame. There are some people that say that's how people are. There's good in everybody. That's not the scriptural thing. Man has fallen. Man does not have a glowing ember of, of goodness in him that needs to be blown upon. Number three, how do you approach God? Another area where the cults mess up. It's through Jesus, through nothing that we have done. A cult will say that you approach Jesus. I was just reading some stuff from a cult the other day, and it talked about the good things that you do, how you get to heaven by the works that you do. Scripture is very clear that it's not that, lest you'd boast, boast about it. Not anything that we've done. Put down here, what is, what is the gospel? Paul asked that question a number of times. Here's Paul's short version of what the gospel is. That Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, 
died on the cross, was raised on the third day, ascended to God on high, and will return for his church. Those kinds of things, those are the key questions. Who do we work with? Who's part of the kingdom? Because remember, Paul said there's another gospel. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then there are other gospels, others of a different kind, right, Mark? Heteros versus heteros. It's this is not the gospel, this is another gospel. And the cults have another gospel, another way to Jesus, another way to please God, another calling. And so, as we work together, we ask those questions. And if they have the same gospel, if they have the same message, if they have the same purpose and plan, which is to lift Jesus up on high and to bring Jesus to the forefront as God's Savior, that we work together, we're part of the same team. So maybe this summer, like you've gotten out of the habit of like doing some things for God or you know, just getting connected in with your with your friends and, and talking about things. Like at Evangel Community Church, we have small groups that are built just for you. We have groups for men. We have groups for women. We have small groups around uh, couples ministry. Like this is the place to come and get into God's word, find some good friendships and start a journey together of following Jesus. Are you there, Marco? Uh, yeah, and if you have any questions, c- can you call the church? You can call the church at 519-745-8151 or on that web thing. Where would Evangel- that be, Marco? Evangelcommunity.com. Evangelcommunity.com. That'll get you there? It definitely will. Awesome. See you this fall. It's easy to see uh, what the disciples were worn out here. Signs of ministry fatigue. These signs of fatigue can meet different things. It could be signs of, of uh, work fatigue. It can be signs of school fatigue and, and uh, maybe even parenting fatigue. You get two, three, four children and, and you can end up with, in fact, you can end up with parenting fatigue with one. Is that right, uh, Nathan? Yeah. Okay, all right, just wanted to check. Signs of ministry fatigue, prevailing tiredness that does not go away even in the face of victory. Yeah, we had some, had some amazing time here at Christmas and lots of people coming out and we were able to do all kinds of ministry. And, but you know, at the end of those things, sometimes if you're in ministry fatigue, you go, whoop, beautiful. People came to Jesus. We met people. Where's my bed? It's kind of like, okay, ministry fatigue. Secondly, growing dissatisfaction with coworkers, obsessing over their shortcomings, annoying habits. Do you ever notice that coworkers can have annoying habits? So can co-ministry laborers together. You know, the, the people that don't show up on time or the people that show up on time but they don't have their stuff. And I mean, like me last night, I mean, I showed up on time in the right place and I didn't have my stuff with me. And she's like, man, is he going to learn to check his... Like, those kinds of things happen. Growing dissatisfaction with coworkers, obsessing over their shortcomings. Fourthly, inability to care about the needs of others over your own needs, either real or imagined. An inability to care. It's like, I can't get worked up about it. Ministry fatigue. Fifthly, the obstacle takes on larger-than-life proportions, overwhelming 
Ever been a meltdown? Okay, you've been doing ministry or you've been at work, and at work somebody does some little thing at them, and you just spaz on them, and you go like, what are you thinking? And you just, and you go home and you have your cup of chai tea. I don't know why anybody drinks chai tea, but anyway, you have your cup of chai tea and, and, your, and your biscotti and your and you're kind of back one with, and you go like, why did I get so cranked at that poor, poor, I mean, I feel like an idiot. I was just a little thing, and I blew up, and I just, it just began right out of proportion. Ministry fatigue. Finally, being more concerned about being right. I hate God's word, because when I study God's word, he, he speaks to me. And speaking to me, I wish he would just speak to you all, but, but he speaks to being more concerned about being right than about hurting those around you. And I've had it, I'm tired of being pushed around, being used, feeling that comes over you. Ever had that? And you're just like, I've had it, that's enough. I'm, I'm right about this and I'm going to, and I'm just, just going to let them know. No. How do you protect yourself from those things? How do, you, how do you keep from, from falling into that, that kind of a rut, a destructiveness? There's five things here. Create times of personal rest and relaxation. If you're in ministry, get this idea that God can survive without you. It's all right to take a break. It's all right to spend time. In fact, I spend like three times a year, three weeks a year, I take a sigh and just go, I need to get alone with God and I need to seek out God and I need to hear from Him and I need quietness. We don't deal much with quietness in our culture and yet there are times that you need quietness to hear from Him. And so times of personal retreat, personal relaxation. Forgiveness is more important than being right. I love what James says here is that no long-term relationships will endure without forgiveness. That's why pastors and, and churches switch hands so often as they get mad at each other and they don't learn how to forgive each other. They don't learn how to say, I'm sorry, and, and you're forgiven. They don't know how to let, let it go. Pastors don't let it go. Churches don't let it go. Well, thirdly, hold your own opinion lightly and roll it off when people disagree with you. I'm not saying don't listen to them. I am saying that being upset and angry when a person disagrees with you or, or, or doesn't think your opinion is the right opinion, holding lightly to it and not getting cranked about it. Listening, observing, saying, is there something in this, what this person is saying? Is there something valid? Is there something useful that God has for me in this, in this moment, in this statement? And this one you've heard before. Much is accomplished and life becomes simpler when no one cares who gets the credit. Cultivate that character. That you don't care who gets the credit. The glory is to go to God. Whether it's your idea or Buford's idea doesn't matter. Whether it's your thing or somebody else's thing, it's that God is glorified and God's purposes and plans are met. And finally, take care of the reputations of those around you before you take care of your own. That's one of the first rules of being a good employer. Don't make your employees look bad. Take the blame. Take the, and you may have a conversation afterwards in a back room about it, but, but you be the one up front. Protect your ministry team. 
It's hard because that cuts against the grain of saying that person is wrong. That's the reason this didn't work or that's the reason that it fell apart last night or that's, it's easy to want to blame someone else and to make yourself look good. And that's the internal thing. That's what the human nature wants to do, but not in ministry. Stan, you were saying that much is accomplished when no one cares who gets the credit. Whatever we do should be in partnership with God. Can you elaborate a little more on this? Well, I mean, that's, that's a definite thing that we have to choose to do. Because, I mean, let's be honest, we all care who gets the credit. We all like to look good. We all like to be appreciated. We all want to feel that we've done something that, that we can be proud of and that other people are going to respect. And so I, I have to choose to be different. I have to choose to not care. I have to choose to want the kingdom, to want what God is trying to do, to be the most important thing there is going. Jesus said that those, he who wants to be the greatest has to learn to be the least. And he who wants to be greatest of all has to learn to be the servant of all. Well, I mean, it just, that just does not make it in our culture. It doesn't make it in relationships with husbands and wives. And like, I mean, I see a lot of husbands and wives. And, and, and I tell you, the thing gets going when I want it done my way. I want my thing my way. I want to have to say, and, and I want to really, I mean, I want to make this relationship uh, all about me. In fact, uh, it's really cool. A, lot, a few weeks ago, Ken Miles on his show in the morning uh, played this clip called Me Church. And it kind of the clip starts off like it's all about me. And it's kind of like that song, it's all about you, Jesus. Well, it's all about me. That's our per- That's who we are, the innermost core. And so to choose to set aside my thing and not care about glory or, or recognition or having things done my way and say, Jesus, I want this done your way. What's the words? How can I lift up a brother? How can I lift up a How can I make them shine? In fact, when you're in business as an employer, you learn that you get the best out of your employees when you make them look good. You let them shine. Don't worry about taking the credit yourself. You make your employees shine, and, and they will uh, serve you well. Well, what about as Christian leaders? What about as Christians out there in the workplace and in our churches? If it was about making... The other person saying, you know, it was really, it's Betty who, who, who put a lot of work in on this. She's the one that holds this together. As, as opposed to looking at making ourselves, look, I tell you, that would revolutionize any church. And I'd love to be a church, part of a church like that. Thanks, Dan. You shared some thoughts on competition. You said that we need to get out of the way of other ministries and bless them. That... Uh, we're not to think that whatever God's doing in, in the ministry that we're a part of is more important than what he's doing in, in, in the next ministry. So my question for you is, what if there's a, a ministry in the church that recruits a little more aggressively than the other, and, and, and perhaps the one that you may be a part of is left without people because they're already serving somewhere else? Well, I think that that's, really that's an elder saying where elders have to make sure that there's some commonality served. And uh, elders also set direction and tone and saying, you know, here, are, here are the key ministries that we're trying to build in the body. So part of that's a leadership problem, needs to be addressed by leadership. 
The other thing is, is, as opposed to being territorial in ministry, and I tell you, this is exactly what happens in so many churches. And, and like we fight it at our church too. It's like the thing I'm involved in becomes the most important ministry in the church. But really, everything serves the whole. Everything serves Jesus Christ. And so children's ministry is not more important than, than, uh, than the ushers. And so if you see one thing, one, you know, if you see your ministry consuming a lot of resources in the church, you have to be cognizant of that and be helpful by you know, doing your very best to, to hold on to your uh, ministry leaders, doing your very best to train, to uh, prevent burnout from happening. And to be willing to say, you know, there's a key person that I would love to recruit, but I know there's another ministry that needs them more than mine. I tell you, that would get the attention of uh, the elders in a church if that happened. You know what's gotten the attention of others, Stan, in in my past, in my dealings with people, is, is that when I share with them that in ministry, God can do it without us. You should mm-hmm. see the looks on some people's eyes and their faces. Mm-hmm. In fact, th- this is a tough one for a lot of people, including perhaps some ministry leaders, because I've I, I've I've had experiences when 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 people let you know that their ministry really needs you, and, and perhaps the success of the ministry may be directly connected to your involvement. I, I mm-hmm. guess we all need to understand that the success of any ministry. Is God's work, not ours. And yet there's the gift of discernment, Marco, and, and God gives leaders discernment to discern the times, to know the times. You know, I think of Esther, and it says in Scripture that she was there for such a time as that. She was there in a specific place at a specific time to accomplish great things for God. And so I agree with you that God doesn't, I mean, does God need us? No, God does not need it, but God chooses to use us. And there are times when ministry is critical. And ministry hangs in the balance, and God calls men and women forward to step out in faith and to pour themselves out for him. I tell you, there's the act of faith. The act of faith, even though, remember Moses, and Moses is all stammering. He's like, you know, God's saying, I want you to go to speak to Pharaoh. Okay, the, the, the the top dog in the world at that time. The guy was kind of like thumbs up, thumbs down, determined your life, determined. He wanted Moses to walk before this guy and say, listen, dude, let my people go, which was not a real positive message. And Moses is stammering and tongue-tied, and he's going, I can't do this. Send my brother. He's like better equipped at this than I am. And God goes, no, you're my man. You're my guy. Go in my power and my strength, and I'll go with you. And he turned the stinking world upside down. And I honestly believe that there are many out there tonight. You have gifts and you have things that God has given you to use for the kingdom, and you're sitting on your hands and you're not using what God has given you. And he's saying, you know, Bill, Bob, Sue, Mary, here's what I've got. Step out in faith. And, and we fold our hands and we refuse to submit our gifts into the hands of an almighty God. And he's waiting for our submission and our obedience. So I guess after listening to those who are trying to recruit you, the first step would be to 
prayerfully discern mm-hmm. your your actions. Yes, go to your elders and say, I have all these opportunities. Where strategically do you want me? Great. Well, that's it for tonight, Stan. The time sure flies when, when we're together. But before... You didn't say when we're having fun. When we're together, Stan. <laughs> okay. But before we go, I'd like to thank you for sharing time with us tonight. Know that you're always welcome to join us any Sunday. We're located at 112 Spadina Road West, and our worship service begins at 1030. Consider joining us for lunch sometime after the uh, the worship service on the first Sunday of, of each month. It's an opportunity for us to enjoy some extra fellowship and, and a meal together. This week, when you're feeling the burdens of ministry and that perhaps without you things will fall apart, I'd like to offer up some encouragement by reminding you that God can do it without us. He just chooses to include us. Take comfort in this truth. And remember, don't end your day without a word with God. Here it comes, a brand new day. But I don't know what will come my way. Rise or fall, your love will see me through it all. You pursuit of me and challenge like your word directs me to what's right and spurs me on right through the fight with the promise of new life.